Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 457th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, our host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you're be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Air Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast never platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual, going to have a great show for all you guys, going to have Jeff Magliocchetti, he covers the New York Jets for the Jets X Factor. Uh, we have a great conversation. We talk about the Zach Wilson drama uh, in terms of Zach Wilson's development as a quarterback, young quarterbacks in general. We had a great conversation. I know you guys will enjoy it. But before we get to Jeff, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be a Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nighttrain underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You'll find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything because... You know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now it's time for my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so very much. So, Chris Haynes reported yesterday that Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James had a meeting. Here's what Chris Haynes said. The three superstars had a phone conversation with each expressing their commitment to one another vowing to make it work. What I found very interesting about it, and wording's really important when we talk about reports, the three superstars had a phone conversation. This is a problem. Russell Westbrook is not a superstar. He's not even a star. Why is Russell Westbrook also involved in this meeting with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the quote-unquote real stars, And it got me thinking, right? I had a job interview recently. And a big part of the job interview, I was talking to a guy and he was like, you have to know your role. And he gave me a story about uh, in 2016 when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship. Obviously, everybody's focusing on LeBron, but people ask Tristan Thompson, how does this happen? How do you come back down 3-1 to beat the Golden State Warriors who had 73 wins, uh, quote-unquote, the greatest team of all time? And what he said was is, I had to do my job, right? Tristan Thompson's job, rebounding, defense. Tristan Thompson was a fantastic offensive rebounder. Uh, And I do that job, A-plus, to perfection. And then JR does his job. LeBron does his job. Richard Jefferson does his job playing 40 minutes in a finals game at like 37, 38 years of age. Kyrie does his job hitting the shot. Kevin Love does, Kevin Love does his job uh, isoing on Steph Curry on defense. And Steph Curry can't get a clean shot off against him, right? Everybody does their job. And this is how the comeback happens. Cleveland is etched forever in history. Everybody has to do their job. And it's something in sports that's 
easier said than done, knowing your role, doing your job, doing an A-plus job at that specific job, right? Even though it might not be glamorous, it might not be something people care a lot about. Uh, there's not a lot of praise for the 14th man on the bench, but it can be extremely important. I think that's why teams like the Heat do a good job of having a guy like Udonis Haslam. There's value in having a guy who will not complain about playing time, who knows he's not going to play, who's going to show up to practice every day and bust as you know what, and give guys game. There's value of that. There's value in that, right? The Heat could find tons of other players who are better than Udonis Haslam at basketball at this point in his career. He's 40 years old. Udonis isn't very good. He's a below replacement level player. But the veteran leadership, the ability not to complain, the toughness, the effort, the commitment to winning, that's why he's there. He sets a tone. He sets a presence, right? There's a presence about him. And that's why knowing your role is so important. If your job is to be on the bench and practice hard, you do it, like Udonis. If you're just there to aid the starter or make sure the starter is ready, to make sure the starter can be the best possible version of him or herself, then you have to do that. If your job is just to play defense, then you do it. Russell Westbrook truly believes he's the star. He's the guy who's supposed to take 20 to 25 shots a game. He's the guy who's supposed to have the 40% usage rate. When in reality, LeBron and AD are the stars. Russell Westbrook needs to be the third guy. Here's what the third guy does. Chris Bosh in Miami. Space the floor. Rebound. Play defense. Kevin Love. Cleveland. Third guy. Space the court. Rebound. And Drew Holiday. Third guy in Milwaukee. Play lockdown perimeter defense. And play efficient offensive basketball. That's what the third guy does. Draymond Green, fourth guy in Golden State. I might take two shots a game, but I'm going to impact with my passing, rebounding, and defense. Being the third guy, the fourth guy, the fifth guy, it means you're doing the little dirty things, the, you know, the little nuggets that we don't think about, the rebounding, the passing, the screening. Russell Westbrook has no interest in doing any of that and being a guy who sets screens. Have you ever seen Russell Westbrook set a screen? All we really see what Russell Westbrook do is he pushes it up in transition, he drives to the rim, he kicks it out to shooters. That's not what the Lakers need him to do. LeBron James is more than capable of doing that himself. Maybe Russell Westbrook could be a bench player and play 20-25 minutes and do that in the second unit situation. But as a guy playing 40-plus minutes per game with Anthony Davis and LeBron on the court, that's not what Russell Westbrook needs to do. He's not a good shooter. So you know what he should do? Stop shooting threes. You should cut to the basket. We've never seen Russell Westbrook do that. Cut to the basket. Set screens. Play hellacious defense. As athletic as Russell Westbrook still is, he should be one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Yet he's not. He doesn't show an effort or a willingness to do, to do that. He doesn't show an effort or willingness or pride even to really excel and be elite on that side of the court. Or the basketball IQ which is lacking on both the offensive and defensive end of the court. Russell Westbrook, know your role. You're not the star, you're not the superstar. But what you can be is you can be the guy who aids the star and the superstar. You can be the Dennis Rodman, you can be the Kevin Love, you can be the Chris Bosh, and guess what? It's not as sexy to be Chris Bosh. It's way cooler to be LeBron and Dwayne Wade and get buckets and everybody says you're a superstar. It's way cooler to be Kobe and Shaq and not be Derek Fisher.
But guess what? Guess what, Russell? You're not writing your own story. You're not the star in this movie. You're an extra. You're there for the supporting role. You're not Batman, hell, you're not even Robin. You're Alfred. But Alfred's still valuable. He watches the Batcave when Batman leaves and fights crime. Being the guy who sets screens, rebounds, hustles, plays defense, that's valuable. Be a star in your role. Don't be that guy who takes 20, 25 shots still trying to be a star on the triple-double king. Be the guy who plays defense. Be the guy who fits in. Be the guy who takes eight shots a game. Be the guy who's okay taking one shot a game, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to impact the game in every other aspect. Because you want to know what? Anthony Davis and LeBron are our guys who are going to carry us in the scoring load. But I'm going to do everything else to make sure the Los Angeles Lakers can win another championship. Russell Westbrook needs to figure out a way to do that. Cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Jeff Macleod on the show. Cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal. Again, should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Jeff Magliocchetti. He covers the New York Jets for the Jets X Factor. How you doing, man? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. So the first question I have to ask you is Zach Wilson, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know you're laughing. (laughs) So... I think a lot of times when we talk about character, what people do with their personal lives, like we can make it seem like it's some bigger than something than it actually is, right? Like how much does it actually affect the football field? Though, right? Obviously, Zach Wilson having a little bit of an affair issue with the teammates' ex, like mom or whatever the craziness is going on there. But quarterback is such a leadership leadership position. That's why I feel like propelled to ask you: Do you think this is? Anything at all, or do you think this something just blows over? Because when you're the quarterback, you are the leader. You're the guy that everybody looks up to. You are the CEO. Honestly, I I were overblown this a little bit because look, uh, first of all, I thought you had me on this program to talk about football so much for that. But <laughs> but um, no. But um, what's interesting for 
think that, um, well, his life is his life. What he, what his business is his business. And at the end of the day, I've seen this comparison a lot. People are saying, you know, uh, you know, Joe Namath did the same thing. Joe, Joe Namath, Joe Namath, you know, had a good time. Uh, had an active social life, yada yada yada. Um, and it's different because Joe Namath in the Joe Namath played in an era where an athlete, any publicity for for that matter, really, his record every single move was not scrutinized by social media you know nowadays if an NBA player you know uh, or orders you know a Budweiser instead of a Miller Lite that move, that, that, that move is endlessly debated on something like first take or undisputed for the next, for the next week or so and people look into it people talk about it so Namath played in an entirely different different era he's not playing the social media era where you know again they spend they two, spend two hours in the embrace debate era talking about it. They uh, anyone who has access to the internet can get in how many characters twenty say two hundred eighty characters about it or less. But it's so so that's the interesting part to me. And the other thing, and but the thing is, here's the thing: Zach Wilson now has to perform this season because look, when you're partying, when you're having a good time, no one cares. Unless, uh, as long as you're winning. Take Rob Gronkowski, for example, because I remember back in the day, a big argument that was presented to me was, uh, you know, if, uh, it, 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 why does everyone get on, you know, Johnny Menzel for partying, but Rob Gronkowski can do it and everything is fine? Here was the thing about Gronkowski. Say what you feel about Gronkowski, he always showed up on Sunday, he got things done. He was an active contributor to winning ball games. He was an active. He played an active role in the in the Patriots and the Buccaneers' uh, success. So he could get away with that. So what this situation does, I think it's something that's overblown a little bit. But at the same time, it puts a little more pressure on Wilson to perform this season because Neymar was another guy like that. You know, say what you will about the guy, he backed up his promises. He turned the Jets into a winning franchise, and at, at the time, and I and, and I feel that you know if Wilson comes out and you know and he throws for you know four touchdowns or something like that on opening day, no one's going to be talking about it. It's great. And I don't I don't think he has to do that. I think he's just had that season. I think he should get to the three hundred yard mark a couple times. I think he should play. He has to play an active role in helping the Jets win this season. And we started to see that toward the latter stages of this year. I mean, uh, you know, for a game for a game that featured two teams combined, you know, what, four or five wins. That Jets Jaguars game was actually rather exciting. So I feel like I feel like that Wilson has to play an active role in the Jets' redemption, in moving things in the right direction. So I feel that, you know, it's fine. Wilson's business is his business. Let him take care of that and whatnot. But the second he overthrows, say, Elijah Moore this season, you know, people are going to say, you know, maybe he wasn't out party, maybe he wasn't out seat behind others' back. Those conversations are going to come up. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I think this is more of a no big deal than anything. I think maybe if it was an issue with somebody on the team, right, that he has to work with on a daily basis, I could see that being an issue. But, you know, I I don't see it being an issue since it doesn't go within that scope. I think when you're working with people and you have those issues, maybe that could be more of a problem. But since that's not what it is, uh, I don't see that being too much of a problem. So I would agree with what you're saying there. In terms of Zach Wilson and his play, what are the things you think he needs to improve upon most for this upcoming season? But I think the uh, thing he has most to improve on basically the uh, is basically um, his, uh, 
uh, the way he commands the pocket pretty much because you know, we saw that growing uh, last season and one of the most underrated developments I saw from last year was during the preseason and in the early stages of the years, Wilson looked uh, very statuesque in the backfield and I'm not referring to his look as a matter of fact, I'm referring to the fact that he was very immobile, he was basically standing there, he let the defense come to him, but he started to develop a mobile game late in the year that I think could be going through very clutch for a team. He's working through a perfect balance right now of, you know, throwing the ball and finding that and and running when he has to and getting the most of that. Again, we saw it during that Jacksonville game. I think it was it was, it was during that game he had that uh, fifty yard fifty plus yard run, uh, fifty plus yard run for scoring that game. So I think that's what he has to do. I think uh, another thing he has to he has to start doing he has to start taking maybe a few more chances out there because again. You, uh, th- this NFL, today's modern NFL, is one that absolutely worships the deity known as fantasy football. And at this point, no one in their right mind is going to be choosing Zach Wilson in the early stages of a fantasy draft. And, you know, it's, it sounds tough because, look, fantasy champions don't often, the, the fantasy champions don't win you, you know, games every year. They don't win, they don't win you real games, at least in, as far as, you know, real teams are concerned. Because you know, you look at you look at some of these, you look at some of these, If that were the case, uh, you'd see guys like uh, uh, here, here's an example. Uh, you'd see guys like Kirk Cousins would pro, uh, would would be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy after every year, and that's not the case at this point. Because here's the, the Jets need a guy like that. They need some big play options out there. They need to get things rolling because failing to reach 300 yards passing in today's NFL is unsustainable and unsuccessful. The one the one of the few times the Jets did it last season was when none other than Mike White was that quarterback. And we saw White, you know, he was never meant to. He, uh, he, was, he, he, he was always meant to be, you know, kind of just the villain solution. I think the biggest mistake Robert Sala made last season was was implying, was however indirect or however unintentional that was, that Mike White had a chance to usurp the role of franchise quarterback for most. And that was the biggest mistake he made last season. But at the same time, Wilson has to be able to, um, he has to start making big plays for the Jets again. Because it's been a while since the Jets had a sustainable big play threat. And there's no excuses for him this time around this year. Because the Jets went out this offseason, and they rebolstered a good portion of their core out there. They went out there and got him weaponry that will allow him to make big plays out there. We see it right now. You look at the tight end spot. They got C.J. Uzama. Excuse me. They got Tyler Conklin. They drafted uh, Jeremy Jeremy Rucker, and they also went out and drafted the top running back in the draft in Brees Hall. So, and of course, they rebolstered his offensive line. Elijah Burr Tucker, of course, entering his second season. Lincoln Tomlinson comes over from San Francisco, and uh, hopefully, for all intents and purposes, Mackay Bentons come back. And I'd be remiss too if they didn't, uh, if I didn't mention the drafting, of course, of one of the three first rounders. Rounders Jets and Garrett Wilson. Another underrated move that I think the Jets uh, that I think the Jets are really going to benefit from is bringing back uh, Braxton Berrios. Now, Berrios was by far the Jets' most potent big play target last year. Whether that is whether that was you know a, a, an apparition or whether it was because of Elijah Moore was absent for most of the year or whether Berrios is establishing himself as a big play target, that remains to be seen. But at the same time, I also think I think this move is good for the Jets either way because it brings something that hasn't been in this franchise for a long time. Continuity. Because that's one of the things, one of the many things they messed up in the Sam Darnold era. Sam Darnold, let's face it, he's probably not he, he's more than likely not cut out to be a to be an NFL franchise quarterback. 
but there are several factors that have kind of hindered his progress, not least of which, of course, is the Jets hiring of Adam Gates. You want to, talk, you want, you want to pitch a good uh, what-if episode to Marvel, if, what if the Jets didn't hire Adam Gates? Because you put anyone else, maybe we're talking something else about in that role, maybe we're talking uh, maybe we're talking differently about Sam Donald. But that's not the point. The point, of, the point I'm trying to make here is that there was never any true continuity around Donald at the time, because by the time Donald's third season kicked off, 2020 season, there was one receiver remaining from his rookie year, and that was Chris Herndon, who was nowhere near the height of his powers he displayed in 2018 over tight end. And also, the offensive line was just a revolving door of names. I believe the Jets had entirely revamped their offensive line from 2019 to 2020, at least in terms of starters. So, the Jets are doing a solid job here of ensuring that Wilson has a little bit of continuity, especially going into that all-too-crucial second season. When when it was, when it when Darnold had it, you know, things kind of sputtered out, things went completely out of control, but completely out of control. I know they finished 7-9 and nine that year, but you have to remember a majority of those wins were gained against teams that had either nothing to gain in terms of playoffs or were in equally deep situations. So what Wilson has right now is a brilliant opportunity. He's lost excuses at this point, and I feel that I feel that he needs to work on his big playability and get the Jets in places like you know the top fantasy football rankings and into the Sports Center top ten. That's what Wilson needs to get done this season. Who do you think has more pressure on them coming into this season, Wilson or Sala? I think it's Wilson, as a matter of fact, because uh, uh, oh, that's hmm. that's a good question. That's a good question because, frankly, the trigger fingers of NFL owners and general managers these days are quicker than ever. It used to be, you know, the proverbial thing used to be, you know, you get three years with a guy, you get three years with a head coach, you get three years with a uh, head coaches in particular get three years. This is more prevalent on the college level, but the third year is always very important for a head coach. And, you know, because, you know, that's when you have, quote, unquote, his guys in the building. It takes two years to fully exercise the demons of the prior regime. Um, so, uh, so, Frank, uh, so it's hard to say who truly the, um, who truly the, pre- who truly there's more pressure upon this season. But um, I think there's several ways you can look at it because you, you look at several guys. You, you talk about people are, coaches and quarterbacks are even getting to the He can, he, he, can, he has many areas where he can 
champions. They were cert- they were certainly in discussion for the title. Um, you want to talk about that? You know, there was they were in such dire straits that there was areas that were going to be guaranteed neglected out there. I'm particularly a little alarmed by the uh, current debt that middle linebackers thought because you know Quincy Williams good for him, had a great, he had a great year. Came in uh, just before the season started. Really had a nice season for himself. Built himself into a uh, relatively long-term setting with the Jets right now. But you look at the, you look at that behind him right now. It's, it's kind of scary. You got Thompson, and that's really neat out there. Is uh, who didn't really get get in much during during his season last year. So the, the depth behind the depth behind the middle linebacker spot is going to be scary. The same with uh, C.J. Mosley, as a matter of fact, right next to him, and uh, Jamie Jamie Sherwood right behind him, along with Delshawn Phillips. You know, these are guys who are you know who have snaps, but at the same time, do you rely on them in full time situations? So if Salah can work with what, what he can on defense, that could be his case today. But Wilson, on the other hand. He has on the pressure because this entire season was based around him. And if he doesn't make any progress, uh, then the Jets are going. Then the Jets are looking with. Then the Jets are looking at a multi-million-dollar bat that they just took, all in the name of a quarterback that they that fails to take advantage of this setting. So I believe that the pressure is on Wilson this season because Salah, on the other hand, has multiple areas where he can succeed. But the Jets don't score on offense. Don't 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 bring this offense back from the dead. They're in real. They're they're in the worst place than they started. So the pressure's on Wilson this season between those two. What's a reasonable expectation to place Wilson in next year in terms of hierarchy of NFL quarterbacks? Top fifteen, top twenty. What's a reasonable threshold for him? Well, I think that I think that's another interesting question because this NFL again, one that worships offense. We're living through a time where there are so many good quarterbacks out there. We're living in an era where guys like, you know, Dak Prescott are putting up great numbers and are still disrespected. We're living in an era where Derek Carr earns himself a well-earned extension and people are like, wait, how did forget that? Derek Carr is not a bad quarterback, folks. We're looking in an era where you're seeing some good names that, you know, are serving as backups out there because, like, a few years ago, Ty- Tyrod Taylor, you know, when he bounced around the league in the start, that was a backup with the Giants, I believe, no less. So I think we're living in an era where, you know, it's hard to truly determine where, where anyone's spot on the quarterback uh, on the quarterback hierarchy is anything but secure. I think if Wilson could get into the top 20 this year, that, that, would, be, that would be seen as acceptable by Jets management. Because the Jets themselves on the franchise timeline are at an interesting point. They undoubtedly got better this offseason, but I still think that they're in a position where the playoffs are simply a little too much to ask for at this point, even with the extended bracket. Because, you know, you look, you look at the AFC, there are simply too many established contenders right now. The AFC East belongs to Western New York until further notice right there. Until, until someone unseats the Bills, the AFC East belongs to them. You look at the North, all four of those teams could potentially make the playoffs. Even the Browns, as a matter of fact, depending on how long uh, Sean Watson gets suspended for. And he, he, he probably would and should, as a matter of fact. So I feel so. you look at the North, all four, te- all four of those teams are capable of making the playoffs. Same with the AFC West is down there because the Chargers, you know, you want to talk about a team, you want to talk about proof that fantasy football doesn't win championships. The Chargers had, you know, some of the best players in football down there, at least on paper, and still failed to reach the playoff last year. But they're going to be back, uh, presumably angry, presumably better than ever. And you can't count out the Denver Broncos either with uh, Russell Wilson down there. And that's already in addition to, you know, the usual suspects in, in the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders talking about their are before. So everyone in the North and West could potentially make the playoffs this year. And over in the South, you know, the, the, that, 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 
think that for the Jets at this point, you look at that division, uh, I don't know what to expect out of uh, New England or Miami this year. Uh, and because, you know, the Patriots, the Patriots, uh, you never, ever, 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 ever want to count out Bill Belichick. But what about the Patriots is exciting at this point, other than the fact that they bought back the uh, Patriot jerseys on a limited basis this year? I feel that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, how the Patriots can recover uh, from just a humiliating playoff loss and, uh, and what sort of trust that they put in Mac Jones. Because Mac Jones is almost skating by the reputation of his predecessors in the sense that everyone's believing that Mac Jones is a big deal simply because he has the flying elders on him at this point. But if that were the case, I feel like Belichick would be trusting him with more than, say, you know, each 10 passes a game like he did in that first trip to Buffalo. So I feel that they have something to prove this year. And Miami, on the other hand, they're another one. Uh, if there's any quarterback in the, if this is this is a division where it's like Josh Allen and the three guys that just had immense pressure on him, on them. Miami, of course, bringing in Tyreek Hill and also and also uh, picking up and also well returning to a Tajo Haloa under center. So I feel like a reasonable expectation for Wilson would be getting the top twenty, and a reasonable expectation for the Jets would to be would be to appear in the famous quote in the hunt column. You know those famous playoff tricks that the networks always break out during the holidays. I love those things. They're basically the facto football advent calendar in the sense that you know they have the division winners, the current wild, the division leaders, the current wild cards, and then the in the hunt column, which basically is everyone who's like fighting for a wild card spot, still fighting for a division at the time. If we roll around Christmas, we're lighting the pink advent calendar. We're lighting the pink advent candle, and the Jets are the third Sunday of Advent, two weeks before Christmas, and the Jets are still in. Uh, and the Jets are in the in the hunt column. I think that's a successful season for them. And by association, you would assume a successful a successful season for Wilson. Yes, McCaffrey. Yes, I went to Catholic school. What gave it away? So. Let me give it to you this way. Let me let me pose it to you this way, right? In terms of the Jets potentially making the playoffs. In terms of the Jets potentially making the playoffs, right? So the AFC East, third worst division in the AFC. Agreed? Third worst? Yes. Uh, by far. Okay. By far. The in the West and in the North, both all those teams are gonna play each other and they're gonna beat them up. So that that's just gonna depreciate them down. They might be better than let's say the Dolphins, the Jets, or in the South. Uh, the Colts, the Jaguars, all those teams, but just by virtue of the fact that they're all going to be playing each other multiple times, they're all going to go down in the loss column. So all the Jets need to do is theor- theoretically, right, be better than the Patriots. Who, there's some concerns there, right? The Dolphins, like we don't know. It wouldn't shock me if they could finish second in the division. So that's already putting them in a decent standing to what you're saying in the hunt. And then I forget who does the AFC play in the NFC rotation. Oh, they play the uh, North this year. North, okay. They, they, they play the North this year, so that, that would be the uh, pa- that would be the Packers, that'd be the Bears, that'd be the Lions, and the Vikings, and uh, they have one more interconference game, of course, with the extra seventeenth game this year. I believe that comes against uh, Seattle. As a matter of fact, Ooh, that'll be a good one. Yeah. So, if you get Seattle, one of the worst teams in the NFL, the North, not particularly great division, besides the Packers, that's like if you show enough improvement, like right, and they're going to be playing a fourth place schedule. Even in the AFC, and maybe the right, so that kind of puts them where they can kind of artificially get to that ten-win threshold. Which, if you get that, you could be seventh in the conference. Could they? Sure, but then again, you know, this is a team that still needs that taste of winning at this point, and that's what made last December's uh, I believe it was, no, it was January, the January second, I believe. Um, that's what made that January game against the Tampa Bay. Uh, so disappointing. The Jets had nothing to play for at that 
eliminated. But if they beat Tampa Bay, I could see, I foresaw so many headlines saying, like, the Jets are next year's sleeper team. Everyone seems to have one. It's toward the end of the year. Like, every time, it's almost a tradition unlike any other. One of the most underrated uh, holiday season traditions. Like, in the NFL, you'll have one of those teams that start off, uh, I don't know, like 3-8 and eight or something like that. Then all of a sudden, they start to rattle off a couple wins. They beat one of those good teams. And suddenly, you're thinking, hey, look out for that team next year. The Jets could have been that if they were able to hang on and beat Tampa Bay, I feel. Because, look, the Jets, yes, there are winnable games on this schedule by far. But when you're in a playoff drought that's reaching, you know, old enough to be a PG-13 movie by itself, you're lacking a winning culture. Because look at you look at the schedule, there are winnable games right here. But everything tells me that, you know, the Jets will falter in some of these games. They need to prove otherwise. They need to start building something different. And there is an opportunity, by the way, for the Jets to kind of, you know, get off on the right now. Because the opening, the opening half of their schedule is brutal. They started off with an AFC North gauntlet. Baltimore at Cleveland, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. You know, if you can emerge from that with two with a two and two mark, I think then we can I think we can at least start the discussion. Then you go to Miami week five and then at Green Bay and then De- and then at Denver week seven. Uh their buys in week ten. So you get to the bye week and you, you're sitting there at four and five or three or at four and five, five and four. I think then we can start having a realistic conversation about the playoffs. Having said that, one thing you cannot do, if you accomplish one thing this year from if you're a Jets or a team perspective, you must win at least one divisional game this year. Cannot go 0-6 in the, in the division again this year. Because in the NFL, there is, there is no... The NFL is a league full of crapshoots, a league full of parity. You know, nothing is predictable. And this is a league that thrives on the concept of any given Sunday. I mean, it'll be any given day of the week by the time Roger Goodell's done. You know, it'll be getting any Monday. It's already any given Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Saturday right now at this point. But that's the Sunday at this point. So, so, so what I'm trying to say is, you know, there's no bigger crapshoot in a league of crapshoots than divisional games. Because you look at that, you, everyone looks at their schedule and you go, oh, you have to fit, you have to think, well, at least split with, uh, you know, divisional rivals. We'll have to at least split with them. So the Jets cannot go through another divisional slate where they go 0-6. And, and whether that includes the win, whether that includes, you know, dealing a win against Buffalo, now that would be a statement. Whether that includes a splitting the series of Buffalo, whether that means marching to New England, and and finally winning one there for the first time since probably the second Bush term, um, and whether that means, you know, go to Miami, showing Tyreek what, what, what he missed out on, they cannot go 0-6 in the division by any stretch of the imagination. And until they do that, until they beat, you know, Buffalo, Miami, or New England, I feel anyway we can't realistically have that, have that talk about the Jets. So in terms of Zach Wilson and just the quarterbacks in his own draft class, right? Lawrence, Lance, Mac Jones, all those guys, Justin Fields. Where do you think he ranks with all of them right now? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because one thing that – because, again, a lot of these guys, their situations are just – were actually toxic. And Wilson was in that situation last year, even through, you know, the best of intentions. So again, the, one of the silliest moves that Solomon did last season – uh, you know, not automatically ending the, uh, not automatically guaranteeing that Wilson would be the franchise quarterback move forward after you know Mike White at 
more about Mac Jones. I, I think it's the former at this point in time. I mean, Wilson right now, Wilson had to work through a toxic situation. He had to work through a team that was, you know, meandering on offense, a team that a team that's still trying to get over the significance of the uh, Mike McCagnan era, an era that completely neglected and almost completely ignored the offensive line. Joe Douglas, make no mistake, he deserves credit in the sense that he has seen that problem. He recognized what happened there, you know, going over a decade without drafting an offensive lineman in one of the first three rounds. And he recognized the problem, and he has done his utmost to address it. Within weeks of taking within weeks of taking the job, over the first few games he made down there, he traded with Baltimore for Alex Lewis, and he convinced uh, Ryan Khalil to come out of retirement. Those moves did not pan out the way he wanted to. He showed he had at least his eye on the monster and had the intentions to move Look, if everyone in the NFL, oh, if everyone in the NFL had good intentions, uh, would have granted a victory. Everyone would be undefeated. So it's all about putting the work in the market right now. Now, Douglas has been using primary capital on offensive markets. So I feel that you know we're slowly removing the toxicity away from the R and the Jets. This is not stable Jets, and it's because of this offseason, by the way, that we're not looking at situations like. Uh, that will be personally like Kai Beckman's rumored uh, report, be, report of battling, uh, being in shape, being out of shape, etc. If he has situations like this, it's because it's off season that we're not looking at we're not looking at this. We're not looking at those situations being like, oh, LOL, same old Jets, same old Jets, same old Jets. Because I feel like anyone who put a green helmet or the white helmet back in the day, or again, green helmet back in the day, I feel that anyone who has played for Jets who's walked through those holes long part, they pay a quote-unquote jet tax. Because the example I always bring up, the, the amateur and professional football comedians alike love to suggest the prime as, as a guaranteed punchline. The example I always bring up, if the butt fumble, for example, happened anywhere else, and that, if that happened in, say, I, I don't know, Atlanta or Carolina or something like that, that, or Arizona, maybe, something like that, you get what I'm saying, if that happened anywhere else, except maybe Dallas or Cleveland, it would have disappeared from the headlines after it would have disappeared from the headlines after two weeks. We had a laugh about it. We would have moved on. It's over. But because it happened to the Jets, to the Jets, it would go down in you know football folly immortality just because it happened to the Jets. So I do feel that you know there is a Jets tax that has to be paid. And when you go fifty plus years without a Super Bowl, when you go a decade plus of this in the playoffs, it's going to happen. But that that's going to happen, and there's no other way to get around it. So you know, you look at the you look at the draft board right now. You know, I think you I think you would not be out of place in putting Wilson second best behind Jones at this point because what um, Wilson was able to do last year was something rookie quarterbacks often struggle with. He took care of the ball. Wilson will enter the season on an active streak of 162 consecutive pass attempts without an interception. Granted, there were a few fumbles in that stretch, which I believe stretches about five or six games. But at the same time, he has been taking care of the ball, and it kind of got lost in the it kind of got lost in the hullabaloo uh, over you know the Jets have lost again, the Jets and the Jets yada yada yada. So Wilson was working. Wilson was able to get some good things done last year while working with the toxicity that is the modern New York Jets. Trevor Lawrence did too, as a matter of fact, because you know. He went over to Jacksonville. Uh, the only difference between Lawrence, between uh, Wilson and Lawrence's situation 
I feel is that when things go awry in Jacksonville, no one cares really because you know they're Jacksonville Jaguars. You almost expect that to happen. The Jaguars are the Jaguars are there basically. So you know Central Florida has some football representation. Central Florida has some football representation. So London has you know a team that. <laughs> happened if Urban Meyer was the Jets coach last year? Tebow descended upon the Jets and 
mire without, pun intended, look themselves out of this mire without, you know, so many eyes upon them. The Jets, all eyes will be on them this year. Everyone's waiting just to make a joke, make, to laugh and laugh and laugh. Jacksonville, you can go down there and you can do, you can come back, you can rebuild in relative obscurity. And that's why Jacksonville is a good situation for, for Lawrence to land upon. Who do you like the best between Jermaine Johnson, Sauce Gardner, and Garrett Wilson? Hmm. I mean, all of them bring their unique, uh, their unique challenges, their their unique skill sets to the Jets, which I think each desperately need, uh, desperately needed, because they all fulfill a desperate need for the team. The Jets have not, the Jets, for example, have not had a homegrown thousand-yard receiver. When I say homegrown, I, I mean a guy who's drafted who started his team with the organization. Since 2007, when Jericho Cotri was that, and has, and before that, it was Zentana uh, Moss, I believe. So it's been a long time since the Jets have had a homegrown four-digit receiver. So I'm going to say it's Wilson right now because that is unacceptable and is unsustainable in today's NFL to not have a homegrown thousand-yard receiver. Sure, we've seen you know flashes of brilliance come from the Jets receivers. I mean, uh, they're still talking about to this day the most the the, the, the one thing that constitutes the most recent thing that constitutes glory days for Jets, of course, that 2015 season when uh, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker each reached four digits, um, greatest season, uh, greatest receiving season in franchise history, I believe. Um, but I think that, um, excuse me, I think that you know this is what the Jets need right now. They needed a big play target out there. And don't get me wrong, Gardner and Johnson are going to build too because the Jets, the Jets uh, pressure numbers last season. Were abysmal. They could they failed to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, the brand of Smash Mouth football they played under Rex Ryan is all but deceased right now at this point. So they needed Johnson to get back there, and he's going to help them in the pass rush. Uh, Gardner's really going to help out because you know they got to cover they they, they got to cover guys like Tyree Kill this season. They got to cover guys like um, Stephon Diggs this season, and you know that wasn't the, that going into a year where where folks like uh, Bryce Hall plenty of potential, but is he a top cornerback right now? I say he still has some work to do in that regard. So going in there with a top-notch like Sauce Gardner was a good move and a great job for him. But I think the, but I think the rookie with the biggest potential to make a difference in a week one is Garrett Wilson because it's been a long time since the Jets have had, a, again, a homegrown big play target. And that is what Wilson gives him at this point. And it's really the type of guy that can truly start to adjust and tinker with a long-suffering franchise's fortunes. How good do you think Garrett Wilson's going to be in year one? I think he'll be uh, he'll be among the top the very targets because uh, you know you look at what the Jets have. Uh, Corey Davis is coming back. Elijah Moore is coming back. Um, and I think that you know in the early going, Wilson's going to try to for- Wilson's going to try to force it to those guys, guys he knows, guys he's worked with, and it might cause uh, Wilson to uh, one of the better route runners in the draft. It might cause Wilson to go by the wayside a little bit, but then we'll, but then I think that Wilson to Wilson connection is really going to pay off. Zach's going to develop a good relationship with him, and I think he'll become one of the more trusted targets in this organization. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're able to do out there, and I feel that you know if you can get um, Garrett Wilson, that is, to around, let's say, um, I think realistic expectations would be something along the lines of probably like uh, 650, 700 yards, four or five touchdown passes, because... That's where Zach Wilson has to get better. He has to get better in terms of uh, you know, scoring because you know you've seen guys over the years. You know you don't have you don't, you don't need a uh, you don't need to have uh, you know major statistics to win ball games to, to win ball games. Not all the time, 
anyway, as long as everyone is doing the job, as long as things are working out. Wilson, uh, that, uh, Darrell Wilson <coughs> is the type of guy that can give you those big plays and knows how to score. He can get this going. He can truly push this franchise in the right direction. So I think year one, something along the lines of 650, 700 yards, four or five touchdowns, I think that's somewhat realistic. In terms of Brees Hall and Malik Carter, how do you think they're going to split the reps with that at the running back position? That's a good question because I was I, I loved the Jets draft up until they drafted Brees Hall. I was very much against that pick. I was like, why would you spend a pick on a running back when you had a guy who proven himself so incapable in Michael Carter last season? And true to form, I believe the next like four, five, six, seven picks after that were all defenders, especially when you need to help on defense. So I was shocked at that pick. But over time, it's sort of uh, it's sort of grummy, and this is why. Brees Hall pick sent a very interesting message from the Jets in the sense that it sent two things. It said basically, uh, we're ready. We're ready to work now a little bit. We're ready to reinsert ourselves into the uh, picture of uh, AFC relevancy, AFC playoff relevancy, and basically a sense of you know, quote unquote, it's not now when because the Jets, Jets and their fans have done a lot of suffering. They've had to go through a lot and a lot and a lot of bad football just to, you know, sniff the good times, just to sniff, again, that in the hunt column. So I feel that the Jets are going to want, so to that end, and drafting, and drafting, you know, drafting based on best position available, especially the best available, the best the best player available, excuse me, drafting the best player available at, at and who's at the top of his game, at the top of his position group, it sends a message, basically. It sends that message of basically, you know, we're ready to contend. We're ready to work through. We're not going to go through another season that we view as rebuilding. And it also basically says, if not, now when? That, that move, drafting the best player available, that's often reserved for teams that are the proverbial, you know, quote-unquote, one move away from the Super Bowl. And the Jets are probably multiple moves away from the playoffs, never mind the Super Bowl at this point. So um, I feel that, you know, they're going – so long story short, to answer your question, I feel that they're going to want to showcase Paul early. I think they're going to want to give him the lion's share of carry, and I think they're going to want to. I think they're going to do that immediately. So, I definitely foresee, at least in the early going, a preference towards Hall at this point. Do you think if we gave Sam Donald Zach Wilson situation right now, things would have turned out differently? I think so because look, the, the, I think the, I think the I think the primary uh, the primary crimes of the Darnold era were one killing any form of continuity that he had, and two hiring Adam Gates because that is one of the biggest what is situations in recent memory. How different would things have gone had Darnold uh, been mentored and his his crucial second season, second and third seasons overseen by anyone but. Adam Gates, because people tend to forget that Darnold's rookie season was was had, was very hopeful in the sense that you know he goes he, he he suffered an injury that kept him out of few games and he comes back uh, I want to say first or second game of December so let's say you know week fourteen yeah it would be week fourteen as a matter of fact so week fourteen he comes back he leads a game winning drive against uh, the Buffalo Bills as a matter of fact in order. Park. It's the first meeting between Donald and Wilson. You know the two 2020 draft, the two uh, not 2020, 2018 draftees. 
tour forever length at this point, and uh, he leads game winning drive. I think it was a legend before the game winning tour. Not only the game winning drive, but a come from behind victory in Orchard Park, no less. So that that happened, and then in consecutive weeks, he goes blow for blow, head to head, matches Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers in games against the Texans, the Packers. So. He went head-to-head with them. Like, that Packer game was particularly interesting. It was like two days before Christmas, last game of the year at MetLife Stadium. Uh, I remember referring to it as a, a matter of fact, a festivist miracle, as a matter of fact, because uh, you know, it was a two game between two eliminated teams. And you know it went to overtime. Green Bay eventually failed in overtime. I think uh, Rodgers found uh, Devontae Adams sort of winning scores, as a matter of fact. So the, people forget just how hopeful that uh, Sam Darnold's rookie season ended. And then came, you know, typical Jets moves in killing any form of continuity that Zach was, that nothing was Sam Donald had on the roster. They had to revamp the offensive line, but they 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 they, they also gutted his receivers as well. And there's really not much you could have done there, as a matter of fact. But the but the big because, you know, they had to approve. There was no there was no getting around that. Granted they could have gone more at they could have uh, let Robbie they just could have shown more resistance to uh say Robbie Anderson leaving, but that's ended up. There's, no, there, there's nothing we can do about that now at this point. So, uh, but the big crime in the end of the day was hiring Adam Gates, who you know has built a reputation in the sense that you know anyone who has left his tutelage has automatically gotten better. And of course, the primary case in that is you know Ryan Tannehill, what he's been able to build with the Tennessee Titans. So I feel that you put. I feel that yes, the answer would be a resounding yes. It only because Darnold's situation, situation with the Jets, as it happened, in reality, could not have gotten much worse. Is Adam Gase the worst NFL head coach in the history of the league? I mean, come on, if we're if we're, if we're sitting here, we'd be we, we be here all day because uh, look at the end of the, I, I I think I think I think he's down there. I, I think I, he's down there. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to fully say because you know there's there's I'm sure it's so many again, bring up, you know, the college coaches that failed to pan out in this league. You, you, you bring up guys like, um, you bring up guys like the Steve Spurrier, like the Lou Holtz, and, um, and Gates, to his credit, did, did, did manage to take a mediocre Dolphins team in the playoffs that year, with Matt Moore quarter, at quarterback in the late stages of that year, too, as a matter of fact. So, Gates does deserve a tad bit of credit there. So, I'm not willing to say absolute worst. I mean, look, I, well, I, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some tough coaches over guys go like, wait, how did he get rehired? How did he, what is he doing there? Uh, because it's, it's tough to say. I, I would hesitate to say worse than NFL history because at the end of the day, he did, <clears throat> he did take him to a playoff spot. And, you know, he might not even be the worst coach in Jets history, matter of fact, because Jets, of course, hosted Lou Holtz's uh, single year. I think, I think he left prior to the end of it. Single, uh, single year in the NFL. And remember, they also have to go through two years, uh, two or three years of uh, Rich Cota. So Adam Gates might not even be the worst head coach in Jets history. So I feel like I feel like that's a debate for a. Uh, you could probably dedicate a full episode to that if you're looking for further material. <laughs> Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Hey, happy to be on. Keep up the great work. Thanks for having me on. And I want to thank Jeff Magliochetti for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you. For tuning into this episode, the 457th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.
Try hard.